This is a National Arts Center podcast. Find more great NAC podcasts on the performing arts at nacpodcast.ca or search on National Arts Center on iTunes and subscribe for free. Welcome back to NEC Dance with Kathy Levy. In the second of three episodes, Akash talks about how his encounter with Akram Khan changed the course of his destiny and how it led to his working with Sidi Larbi Cherkawi and Russell Malenfant, and later on to his involvement in a tribute to James Brown. So let's talk about the choreography. I mean, you're here this week in Ottawa um, to present Rising. This isn't your first work, but um, when did you actually first make a work and say, this is Akash Odedra performing the work that I've made? For myself, um, I think I used to, I mean, I used to, in, in school, I used to, you know, decide, my. I had a piece of music that I, I don't know how I got it, a, a recording of my teachers, and I used to play it, and I used to make up dance the whole way, the whole piece was improvised, you know, on stage in school. So that's why it was first, you know, but it, there was no, there was nothing about, oh, it's mine, so it's my teachers, it was just dance, I didn't care that much. But when I was, um, I suppose, that always happened all the way through, but then when I was, I think, at 21 or 22, um, I did a piece... I even forgot what it was called. <laughs> um, but it was a piece which sort of um, gave, I just gave, it was a, like a five-minute piece. It was like a lightning bolt, you know. It was about to do with identity, um, about being a British Asian. Um, and it was it was on drum and bass, and there was an Indian voice in it, and there was Kathak. And those things don't normally go together. Mm-hmm. But it was very much who I was. You know, I, I'm brought up in a place which is not India. It is England. So there's a language that I had to involve in there. It sort of it had to be a part of this piece. And that's where I, I, I suppose I could say that piece was my first piece where I said this was my piece. It was part of a Daredevil series in England. Mm-hmm. And from there, how did the connection... I mean, we first... Um, came into contact because of your work with Akram Khan, who's mm. a choreographer and performer who our audiences know very well. We've had Akram here for many, many years, including with some of his early solos. We've had a long relationship with him. And it was Akram who first said to me, please come and see this solo and please come and see Akash. But I sense that there was obviously a, a pathway before that. You yeah, were yes. performing a bit with him. and Well, I think in the opera house, I came back from... So I was training in India for two years. I think I packed my bags at 15... And I said goodbye to home. Didn't know what I was going to do, why I was going there. But they say a calling, right? You know. Um, and I was always a person who had to, you know, I was brought up in Sparkbrook as well, which was the most uninspiring place on earth. It was the most grey, you know, industrial place in Birmingham. And, you know, the people, I found them really, everything was about, you know, everyone wearing their bling bling, all these sort of gangster culture. And I didn't connect with it. And I... I knew there was more to life than just that. And I had to push out of there. So I pushed out there and I, and I always felt in me there had to be a ray of hope which came from Sparkbrook. You know, just this one shining 
piece of light which you know shot out of Sparkbrook. So I left and I went to India and I trained, and then I went back and forth between India and England. And then in the final stages, I stayed for two years and I trained intensively. Came back to the UK and I was doing a workshop with Kumudini Lakia. She's like the legend in Kathak, and I wasn't meant to be a part of. And it was in the opera house. I wasn't meant to be a part of the the um, the piece. But she saw she saw me in the workshop and she said, "I want you to be in the work." And no one ever questions Kumudini Lakia. She says something, you do it. <laughs> and I was really naive. I said, "Oh, I have to ask my teacher." So she gave me a look and she said, "Okay, ask your teacher." My teacher said, "Yes, go on. You have to stay there." I said, "But I've got no money, nowhere to stay." My teacher said, "I don't care. You stay. You do it." I said, "Okay." So um, I started doing that piece, and at that point, my mind and my soul was in India. You know, I had made a home for myself. I w- my intention was to go back, be a dancer, which was one of forty. I was happy, one of forty or fifty dancers dancing. With, with who were you dancing with? I was dancing with. Uh, I was with three companies. There's a Bharatnatyam company, Chaya Chaya Kanwate's company. Asha Joglekar's company, Katha company, and a Bollywood company, and the Bollywood company was a huge company with all the all these you know grand celebrities coming in, and I was just this one dancer part of hundreds and hundreds. I think at the audition when I auditioned, there was a thousand people who were just selected for the audition. Oh my gosh! So I was happy because I formed a family with them. So when I was dancing in the opera house, part of Kumi Ben's project, my heart was and my soul was absolutely in India, and I was just in a different zone. I didn't really interact with any of the dancers. I I always just stayed on my own, and I made a friend in London, and I and he came to see the show, you know, and I, it was my way of saying goodbye to him. And when I danced, I performed. I I really gave my soul. I just opened up, and I was just really honest on stage. And that day, Akram was there. I didn't know who Akram Khan was, and um, I remember all the dancers buzzing around saying, "Oh, Akram Khan's coming! Akram Khan's coming!" You know, in my mind, I was thinking, I, I don't know who he is. I just want to go back. So he saw me, and then afterwards, he came up to me and he said, um, "Well done. You know, I see myself in you. I see the same passion in you." And all I said was, "Thank you." That's it. So he remembered me from that point. And then when I did this Dediva solo, I think some news got to him about a young boy, and we were always well. I was always compared to him, the next Akram Khan or the next, you know. So then. He said maybe he should start mentoring me, so he offered to mentor mentor me, and I met him years later. And he saw me and he said, "I remember you. You had longer hair." And I was shocked that he remembered me. And I said, "Yes." He said, "You dance in the opera house." I said, "Yes." And um, and he said, "I enjoyed your dance." So it sort of from there it sort of took off. And then he gave me a solo in his festival, which uh, me and now the the person who's his wife, Yuko, we danced in there, which is also interesting because that was her last show. And so the first show where he saw Yuko and me was in the opera house. That's the first time he saw both of us. And the last show where Yuko danced was also me and Yuko in his festival, as well. So there was this sort of connection which built up. And then I, I shadowed him, and he really, you know, in this field, I really respect him so much. He's like my older brother, and he's he's one of the few people who who genuinely says you are like my younger brother, and has meant it. And has really treated me like that, which involves everything from you know telling me off, shouting at me, to to you know encouraging me, to sort of shaping the course of my destiny mm-hmm. as such. Mm-hmm. So I think it all started with this, and then I did some R and D in Vertical Roads, and you know I was always involved with him. Even now, I w- I'll always text him. I'd always think about him, and he's he's very much part of my life. Even if he's not here, he's in he's in my mind mm-hmm. somewhere. That's wonderful. So he. Gave you this first solo, 
that became part of this larger project. How did that come about for you? Um, I the mean, evening, the, e- the whole evening idea, as well as working with Akram. The evening. I think we went, one day we were in Copenhagen, I remember, and he was all ready for his show and he was sitting backstage with his shawl on and we were outside. And he said to me, quiet for a bit, and then he said, I'll create a solo on you. I said, okay. He said, just hands, only hands. Maybe, you know, we just do something, a five-minute piece, just using hands. I said, okay, fine. And then he came to Leicester to create Dish. And um, he said the idea to my producer, Anand. And Anand said, no, I think it has to be, everything should happen in threes. So Akram said, well, what do you mean? He said, you know, maybe three choreographers should choreograph on him. Akram said, who? He said, well, you've got a connection to Labi. Maybe you should ask Labi. So Akram said, okay, but then who would the third person be? And um, my producer said, Russell Maliphant. And I think Akram disagreed. He said, no, I don't think Akash can do Russell's stuff, you know, because he'd seen me just as a Kathak dancer. Uh, but my producer said, um, no. He said, I think there's a spiral element that Russell uses in Afterlight, which can connect to Akash. Um, and then I think Akram phoned Labi and phoned Russell. And he said, um, there's this boy. And, do you know, you want to see, try him out and see. So then I went to... Um, audition for Labi. Well, at first I meant to meet him for 20 minutes all the way in Antwerp. Um, <laughs> and then when I actually met him, and then he said, yeah, okay, he saw a video of mine. And such a, I was thinking about it right now. Would I ever do that? I showed him this horrible video on a, on a stage, which was like a box. And, you know, <laughs> no lights, no nothing, ripped curtains, and I was doing a Sufi piece. Um, but he saw something in there. He saw articulation that he identified with. And then um, Russell was really clever. When I went to Russell, I was in the studio and then he said, okay, let's start warming up. So we started warming up. Then he goes, okay, now start dancing. And I started dancing. And then he was giving me instructions as I was dancing. But as I was dancing, he said, why didn't you do this? And, you know, I, and I thought, you know, no one's around. You know, what the heck? Let me just jump around. So I was really going for it, throwing myself on the floor, flying, dashing myself here, there. But no one could see me. And then he said, oh, thank you very much, two hours later. And then he pressed stop. So he was recording everything oh I did. Oh, my gosh. So I was like, oh, no. And then, so he said, yeah, I think there's something we can work with. And by the time I had my first um, session with Russell, he had already edited a 10-minute video and looped movements that he found interesting. So there was already a structure set and ready to go. Fantastic. So we worked from that point. Fantastic. And, uh, you know, when I went to Labi, Labi did just yoga with me for one week. I suppose he was just trying to discover, you know, who what I'm what I'm capable of and what I can do, mm-hmm. and um, so it's just yoga for one week with Labi. But was this was this really the first time that you, I don't know, crossed over or really allowed your body to explore something other than Kathak? Um, I mean, did Bollywood with uh, right. Shahmak and but yeah, in in reality, yes, I had to go from zero from Kathak, just Kathak training, to the complete other side through to these three legends in contemporary dance. So there was a huge jump. And each of them have a particular language yeah, that very is different. very different from one very another. Very different. Um, so it was really interesting for me because also I found, even though they're so very different, they all liked similar things within me. So they all picked up similar ideas. So I was thinking, I hope they don't all turn up, you know, turn out exactly the same. But I think they all found their identity in the end. But this was really the first time that I had to change my sense of space, my sense of architecture, you know, the way I looked at things. And uh, what was what had to shift was, you know, the sense of your centre 
uh, as the center and the body being the space and now the relationship of the body and space around it. I really had to shift this idea of what I've been training in 17 years or, you know, 20 odd years. I had to move it and find my path through all these, uh, through with these each one of these choreographers. And I would say rising was my university in dance. Mm-hmm. And how did it, when did you start to understand that it came together thematically and obviously you brought in other, you know, you brought in an incredible lighting designer and, and the, the whole production of it. Was that something from the beginning that you and Anand discussed or was it something that came from the actual experience of creating these works? I think I always say you have to be crazy or mad to be a dancer. Absolutely. Yes. You have to be mad to be a dancer. I mean, going <laughs> An into artist. This, yeah, to this profession, if you're going to think about what's going to happen, you're never going to succeed. Um, but I think, I always say it was like someone being pregnant. Is a baby going to have two arms, two eyes, two legs? What's it going to be like? Nothing was sure. We had no clue. You know, it was sort of happening as it went along and it had its own process. It had its challenges. We had to find our way around each one of those challenges. But we knew there was a date, the 9th of December, and we knew there had to be a show on that date. And we knew somehow we had to find a way. So, you know, until we had all these individual, the pieces were created at a certain point. But then we didn't know which one was going to go which way around, etc., or how it was going to look, how the evening was going to run. But I suppose it was a risk that we all took. And, you know, and then we found a way to make it work. What I find incredible about the piece uh, is that it does feel like now, of course, you're creating things that are coming from a different process. You're saying, I'm going to be inspired by X and I'm going to work with these people. And, you know, the yeah. the road to the intention has varied somewhat now that you've come out of this experience of rising. But when you see rising, you really do feel like that intention was there. Yeah. And of course, people don't necessarily know the, the background to it, but it, all the pieces do feel related somehow yeah. about the light and the use of light. Yes. And yeah. then you put your own solo on top of it. Did that, yeah. you know, how did that come about for you? Well, I think Akram says he, you know, you should do something of your own. And I think in the premiere, I did a Sufi piece because I felt overwhelmed. So I wanted to do a piece which was just soft and just like, I, I initially thought like a connection, maybe there's a lot of spirals. So maybe I start with a spiral. But then I felt like everything, it sort of became about uh, Akram Khan, Sidi Larbi, Rasam Elephant. But then the whole the whole process of, you know, 20 odd years of training sort of got brushed aside. So I thought there has to be something which I contribute towards where the dance comes from the essence of where this evening has come from. So then I did a piece called Mrit, which basically I took dance, dipped it in acid and put it on stage. So there's no fancy lights. There was no fancy costume. I'm just wearing black and it's just pure dance. It's just the energy of where dance comes from, just to show where the essence of this form comes from. Because I didn't want it to get lost in these, you know, in these, in these giants. I wanted them to also know that this is where the seed was planted. Um, and that's how that piece came about. Right. It's 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 an interesting transition to talk about your involvement in this James Brown project, Get mm-hmm. on the Good Foot, because um, you were asked to come in as a choreographer and a performer and asked to do something that talked about the heritage of James Brown and what that was to you. And uh, it it's not that disconnected from what you've just said about showing people where things come from. The essence of... I think it's really important never to forget 
um, where you come from, because I find a lot of growing up in in England, a lot of the British Asians, yes, they do forget their identity and they're trying. It's not their fault as well. I mean, people really try and blend in and fit in. But there's no harm in remembering where you come in because there's a lot of there's like two, three thousand years of culture and history there, you know, and history is something that's so powerful. And you, you know, it's, it's somewhere where I take inspiration from. I'm a person who does live in the past a lot in that sense. You know, I love everything, which is, you know, a strong moment in history. So James Brown for me, you know, it was a point where I, I had to describe this man who was who was a dynamite, you know, not as a perfor- not just as a performer, but in all aspects as a as a representative of his people or people of the new America. Um, so how was I going to represent him? Because it wasn't just song or dance or just that energy. And I think at four o'clock in the morning, it came to me ecstasy. When you look at James Brown, the one word that comes to you is ecstasy. He has this spiritual sense which goes up, you know, it goes vertical. And this sense that his energy goes horizontal to the audience as well. So there's this axis that um, that I saw in him. And the axes are connected to the idea of the dervishes which spin around, you know, reaching this one moment of ecstasy. And that's how this piece sort of came about, of ecstasy. And I also thought that it had to be, because James Brown's approach was really global. You know, his music, you can go to South Africa, you can go to India, you'll find someone who knows James Brown, you know. So there had to be this element of it, not just being his music as it is, but I think his, uh, our sort of take on his global influence on music. So then this this fusion of, you know, Indian or South Asian and 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 James Brown's music sort of, we had to create... Um, this this confluence where the two come together and they and they merge sort of seam seamlessly together and that's how this uh, piece is. I was thinking about the interesting connection between your involvement in this production, Get on the Good Foot, uh, about James Brown music and um, the production that you're showing here, Rising, because you are one of several choreographers who are contributing to the whole in this, you know, many different dancers, Philodanko, many different choreographers, some from from the States, some from elsewhere, all of whom have a simple, a uh, single purpose. And yet also in your show, you're a vehicle for a number of different choreographers. So those ideas are related somewhat to the performer choreographer in you. How did that work to juxtapose yourself into this relatively American um, project, if you will, despite the universality of James Brown? Um yeah, that was really interesting because I was thinking, because I never performed in America. So I was like, um, will they like it? You know, and I mean, it's so different. It almost feels like contemporary dance in America is worlds apart from Europe, for me anyway, from what I see. Absolutely. I agree so with that. So I just really had to think to myself, I had to be really honest. I had to say, okay, what is your take on it? You know, what is my take on it? And I had to... I had to really I had to really be true to the research regardless of what it was going to be. And again, it was like rising. There was a sense of it being a risk, you know, people might not like it, they might not identify with it. But I had to I was when I was on stage, whenever I'm on stage, I try to be honest. I really in the moment of being on stage, I I don't think of the past. I try and move the past away and I don't look towards the future. I don't think about hopes or having hopes. I try and really live in that moment where I'm empty empty enough to receive something from somewhere. And that's what I always try and keep with me when I'm dancing, whether it's James Brown or Rising or wherever it's going to be. It just has to be empty enough to receive something which is beyond my words or beyond me.
or beyond our form. Hmm. How did that feel, that opening night at the Apollo Theater, the infamous theater, and there you are on stage performing th- to this infamous music? It's really overwhelming because, um, you know, yes, in Gatak, when we do a composition, people, when, it, when a composition finishes, people will clap if they like or applaud. Um, but throughout this piece, people were on their seats. They were screaming and shouting and, you know, and every time I would do a move of something, you know, you'll get a reaction from this <laughs> audience. And it was just like, and then you could feel the energy. I could feel, believe me, I was, it was like they were throwing, it was like a massive a wall, this vibration which was coming towards me. And I was really taking that energy and giving it back. Um, so the reaction was just phenomenal. I mean, I've never had that sort of a reaction. And in my mind, I thought, you know, wow, this is America. And, and also, that's probably what James Brown experienced on stage yes. <laughs> pretty much every time he went on to perform. I think, it, and every time I went on stage, I thought of James Brown. Yeah. I, I looked up and I just said to him, you know, just a drop, give me a drop <laughs> of yourself. Stay with me today, you know. And, and it was special because you're in his home. That's where they, you know, that's where they had, you know, when he passed away, that's where people came to sort of see him. Of course. And, you know, there was was talks about the queues going around the block at the Apollo. And so he, that that place was such a special place. And I wanted to share a special moment with this special place. That's all for this edition of NEC Dance with Kathy Levy. Please send us your comments and questions by email at necpodcasts at gmail.com. Don't forget, you can subscribe to NEC Podcasts at nec-cna.ca backslash podcasts. You can also find us as a free subscription in the podcast section of the iTunes Music Store. Until next time, goodbye from Canada's National Arts Centre. This has been a National Arts Centre podcast produced in Ottawa by NAC New Media. Send us your comments and questions. Email us at nacpodcasts at gmail.com. Visit the podcast section of the iTunes store where you can rate and comment on this podcast. We love to hear from you. Remember, you can find more great NAC podcasts at necpodcast.ca or search on National Arts Centre on iTunes and subscribe for free. Until next time, goodbye from Canada's National Arts Centre.